Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Sports with Yosef, I'm Yosef Center. And about one year ago, Ray Lewis went into the Hall of Fame and I had Baltimore TV host Keith Mills. He came on to talk about it on Sports with Yosef and that was a very interesting episode to do. Well this year, Ed Reed, he is heading to Canton to be enshrined there. And Keith Mills was nice enough to come on again, this time to talk about Ed Reed. And that will be coming up in momentarily. After that, I'm going to be talking Orioles, what they should do at the trade deadline. Also, the dominance continues. More on that and much, much more coming up on Sports with Yosef. Ed Reed was one of the game-changing players in NFL history, and you constantly had to know where he was on the field. Seventh all-time in interceptions, the longest pick six in NFL history, the most interception return yards of all time. The list goes on and on and on. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Last year when Ray Lewis went into the Hall of Fame, Keith Mills came on to talk about Ray, and this year joining me on Sports with Yosef to talk about Ed Reed and his historic playing time, it's Keith Mills. Keith, thanks for joining me on Sports with Yosef. How are you doing? I'm uh, doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Like I mentioned earlier, Ed was one of the people you always had to know where he was on the field. And he disrupted plays just by being the right place. If he's there, you're not throwing the ball there because he will pick it off. Who did you have to game plan for more, T-Sizzle, Ray Lewis, or Ed Reed? Well, I'll defer to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady for this one. Uh, there's a famous piece of video that NFL Films put out during a um, piece they were doing on the Ravens and Patriots a few years ago where – Tom Brady went up to the backup quarterback before the game and said, I want you to tell me where number 20 is, Ed Reed, every play. When I come off, I want to know what he's doing every snap. And there's another piece of famous tape where Bill Belichick is looking, and Dan Brady are watching tape of Ed Reed and just talking about how um, amazing he was in one understanding what the uh, pre-snap read would be in terms of what New England was trying to do before the play, and then understanding what they would run off of that play. And it, was, uh, it remains one of the great um, um, you know, compliments to Ed that I've ever heard. Uh, so and according to Brady and, and Belichick, you'd have to say that Ed Reed was the guy that they worried about more. Yeah, he really made an impact and helped the Ravens get a couple big wins in the playoffs against the Patriots. What about special teams? I remember in a video, I think it was NFL Films, coach said if Edward was on my teams, he would always be on special teams. What impact did he have there? Well, he, 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 um, you know, he could turn uh, – every time Ed Reed had the ball, he could turn it into a touchdown, uh, whether mm-hmm. that was intercepting a pass or he blocked a punt against the Redskins for a touchdown, which helped him win that game. He would turn – the rare times he did return punts, he would be, um, you know, he, he, was a, he was a threat to score. Obviously, when, uh, you know, he, he, he'd pick a pass off, like I said, he, would, he, could, he could turn it into a touchdown. So there's nothing Ed could not do in the football field. I truly believe if he played offense that he would be an impact player offensively. He was just one of those guys um, that whatever he did on the field, uh, it was around the football. And he had a – and it was it – was, it wasn't just a film study. It wasn't just his knowledge of, um, of what teams were trying to do. It was his ability to read the play prior to the play starting and then to react to it when it started and uh, had a great sense of, um, of, uh, of anticipation. Uh, I played defensive back in football uh, when I was in high school. And obviously, it wasn't at that level. But, uh, you, you, you know, you try to put yourself in those positions. And I would marvel at how he would um, – 
at, at the point of snap, at the, at, the, at the snap, not pre-snap, but the snap, he would instantly move to the area where he felt the ball was going to go. And I would say 80% of the time, that's where the ball went. Yeah, and in my opinion, though, on the field as a leader, Ed always got overshadowed by Ray Lewis. But what did he bring as a leader? Well, yeah, well, Ed was more vocal. You know, Ed did a lot of his leading in the trainer's room and the locker room. Ed was a lot like Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken <laughs> never, you know, didn't, didn't, wasn't, wasn't out there um, during a game, you know, talking all the time in the dugout, talking all the time. He did a lot of his um, leading in the clubhouse, in the trainer's room, along with Eddie Murray. Ed was the same way. You know, Ed and Ray would both take their young kids uh, over their houses, over their homes to watch tape. Uh, and it was a part of the, um, the growing process for every young player on defense. If you wanted to be a part of the Ravens defense when Ed Reed and, Ed, and Ray Lewis were there, you had to go and watch game tape with them, not at the facility, but at home or what, at one of those two houses. And uh, you think about that. I mean, that was extra time, extra, um, extra work away, away from the field. Uh, so leadership comes in a lot of different ways. It's vocal, like Ray, but Ray also led uh, in the classroom. He was the first in the classroom. He sat up front. He took notes. I remember Dean P saying he would ask some of the best questions of any player that he'd ever he'd ever coached. Ed Reed was kind of the same way. He would sit in the classroom. He would he would break down opposing offenses to the point where he was like a coach out there. That's mm-hmm. leadership, but also leadership is coming up to a young guy and saying, "Hey, we don't do things like that here." You know, if there's if there's um, if there's if the meeting starts at eight, you get here at five up. If practice starts at uh, at nine, you get here at ten up. So that's leadership as well. Yeah. What was your favorite moment? Ed? Oh man, that's that's. I tell you what, um, it has to be the um, the interception against the Cleveland Browns. Um, I guess mm-hmm. it was uh, ten, twelve years ago now. Uh, they were driving for the go-ahead touchdown. Ed picks the pass off in the end zone and, and, and runs run for a touchdown. It was on Sunday night football. I guess it was 2004 or five somewhere around there. And then the Browns are coming in to, to, take, to take the lead with about a minute left in the game. Ed anticipates mm-hmm. the play, and you see him moving on the low end zone shot on the replay. You see him moving a second before the snap. So he anticipated where the play was going to go, picked the pass off, Ran down the right sideline, you know, 100 and some yards. Ravens win the game, man. And that was just vintage Ed, Ed Reed. He did that a few times um, in yeah. his career. And, um, and it was just so signature, uh, Ed, that it, it's hard to put a, put, put a price tag on what he did. Definitely. And uh, definitely, I love the fact that he stayed a Raven for most of his career, although the last couple of years and, when he followed football, yeah, and, he and was of, gone. Of course, the other moment, the other moment is during the uh, – the the Super Bowl parade in 2013, mm-hmm. January 2, February 2013, after they had just won the uh, 2012 Super Bowl, you know Ed delivers the uh, uh, you know the signature moment of the parade back at M&T Bank Stadium when he sang Journeys, you know Don't Stop Believing, and the whole crowd of 50,000 people, 60,000, whatever was in the stadium that day, 70 stood up and cheered with him, and that's something I'll never forget. It, it's funny. I was out down in uh, Harbor East the other night uh, at a, a foundation thing that I was doing. And uh, a bunch of us were um, just kind of talking at a local restaurant afterwards. Turned around and there's Ed Reed. He's standing right uh-huh. next to me. And he came up and he said, hey, man, I heard you're retiring. 
uh, just wanted to say thanks for everything. We talked for a bunch of, you know, for, for a while. I said, hey, good luck in Canton. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you. I said, what are you doing here? He goes, ah, man, I just came in and just to talk to a couple of kids and, uh, you know, that I knew when I was playing here and to help them kind of navigate through some things. I'm like, that's Ed Reed. That's what you call giving back and leading the community. Yeah, and multiple, multiple Baltimore people have done that, Adam Jones, when he left. And, but what was Ed Reed's most underrated moment? What was the most underrated moment? Wow, you could go. Um, well, I, again, you go, back to, you go back to the Brady-Belichick exchange when they're watching tape. Uh, the underrated moments are what you don't see. There right. may be a matchup that Brady has or Peyton Manning had with Ed and that didn't materialize because Ed was smart enough to see what was coming on. And, and before the play was run, he defended it. So maybe what would have been a big play turned out to be no play, um, if that makes mm-hmm. sense to you. Yeah. Uh, again, underrated. Uh, things that are underrated are the things you don't see in the locker room where he is mentoring young guys. He is, he is uh, injecting his opinion or his expertise in game tape preparation, in classroom preparation that we never get a chance to see. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's where, that's where it, it, it's no coincidence that when Ed Reed was on the field for the Ravens, they were always amongst the uh, top ranked defense of the lead. Of course, Ray Lewis was on the field as well. So right. that gives you two hall of famers and maybe two Terrell Suggs. At the also. and Suggs as well. Um, but uh, Suggs, Suggs did a little different. Suggs was more of a physical pass rushing machine. Ray and, and Ed did physical, um, you know, they, they stopped you physically from t- a talent perspective, but they also took you out of the game mentally. And that, that's something that coaches, man, they look at and say, damn, that, that, that's impressive. Yeah. So what was, what was Ed's greatest achievement? Well, his greatest achievement was his collective body work, his, his, his enormous impact he had on every game, whether it was an interception, whether it was, whether it was changing a, deep, uh, a secondary coverage at the line of scrimmage, which took away a big play. Mm-hmm. It was, his ability to come to work every day and play. It was his practice focus. It was uh, all the things that got him into the Hall of Fame. You know, you don't just get into the Hall of Fame on stats. You get in on a collective body of work that, that, that runs the board in terms of intellect, in terms of physical play, in terms of being able to be a coach on the field. So I think his, his all the things that he did – on and off the field collectively shaped his Hall of Fame career. Obviously, his ball hawking skills are legendary, and he's probably the greatest ball hawking safety in the history of the league, which is saying a lot, man, when you got a lot of guys like Ronnie Lott back there and, and guys that, that just you know personified the position. But I don't know anyone that anticipated and gambled and, uh, and ball hawked the ball like, like Ed Reed. That's probably mm-hmm. his legacy. Uh-huh. And just to talk a quick bit of Ravens, you were very high on the Ravens last year, and you were right. What are your thoughts about this season? I think if Lamar Jackson can make uh, – he doesn't even have to make a major improvement in the passing game. You know, he doesn't have to go from 50% completion ratings to 60. He doesn't have to go from, you know, 1,800 yards passing to twenty to 3,000. If he makes an improvement in an area where – where it's, it's an admitted weakness, you know, the, the passing outside the numbers, where he can yeah. keep safeties, he can keep safeties honest in the back end of the secondary. 
and he can allow the run game to flourish and also make the passing game much more viable, they're going to be really good, I think. Yeah. Uh, if, if Lamar can do that, and everybody tells me uh, he's working hard to make that happen. Listen, man, I love Lamar Jackson. He's a smart kid. He's tough. He's a competitor. He loves to win. We're hearing now that his leadership skills starting to take over. Hey, I had a chance to talk to Joe Flacco a couple of times at the end of the run for him, and he, and, and he loved Lamar. He said, man, he worked, nobody works harder. So if he can make that improvement, it doesn't have to be Dan Marino or Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, make the improvement to the point where the passing game is now a, a threat and, de- and defenses have to, uh, have to yeah, defend it every snap, we'll look out. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. And one of my recent podcasts, I had Jerry Sandusky, the voice of the Ravens on Sports with Yosef, and I asked him which player had to step up this year on defense with all the losses the Ravens had over the offseason. Who do you think needs to step up on defense, and who do you think Jerry said? Well, I think whoever the middle linebacker is going to be opposite Patrick and Wasu. Maybe it is Patrick and Wasu uh, in that scenario. Um, I would also maybe say Tyus Bowser. Uh, mm-hmm. Bowser, or Timmy Williams, had a chance to uh, play uh, a lot the last couple of years. Um, I, I would say Patrick and Wasu because C.J. Mosley was a monster part of the defense, and right. um, and and he is now going to be the starting middle linebacker. I think Kenny Young and and whoever else uh, you know we we hear Chris Board might play a lot in that position as well. But I'd say Patrick and Wasu. Mm-hmm. Well, Jerry went with Tim Williams because of the pass rush that he needs to generate, and I know it's a yeah. Record. But what's your prediction for the Ravens this season? Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go ten and six. Playoffs? Ten and six, and depending on what the Browns do, I think the Ravens split with the Browns, and I think they uh, they make a run for the division again. I think they turned the corner last year. Despite what the Chargers did last year in terms of defending them in the playoffs, I think this offense is still going to give teams fit. Lamar Jackson's a playmaker. Uh, there's a lot of talk about what are going to cut down on his runs. Lamar's going to play football, man. That's what he's going to do. If he's going to have to run, he's going to run. So, um, I'm, I'm excited about their running game. I think Mark Ingram was a great addition. So I'm going to go 10 and six. All right. Thank you so much. That was Keith Mills. Enjoy your retirement. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, man. Look forward to doing this again. Yeah. I can't wait. Thank you. That was Keith Mills from WBA Outcome coming on to talk about Ed Reed. He's going to the Hall of Fame in a, le- a couple weeks. And by the way, check me out on sportscaster.com, sportscaster.com. I do play-by-plays, highlights, analysis, breaking news. Also, I have a Ravens blog now, sportsblog.com. My username for both of those, by the way, is yosefm613. That's yosefm613. There are links in the description of my podcast. I write, I write a lot about the Ravens there. Um, I, and also, check me out on Twitter, YosefM613. Follow me there. I do alerts when I'm going live, when I'm putting out a podcast, going live for my videos. Probably I'll be putting out alerts for my blog and other interesting stuff, so check that out as well. So the Orioles are at the trade deadline break, and, well, their first half has been as expected. I mean, they're really not playing well at all. Fifth place, 32-69 and 69 record. That's a 317 win percentage, 34 games back of the Yankees, who are in first place in the AL East. And I think they're the worst team in baseball. Uh, And I think it's going to be an uphill battle. But the Orioles, with getting Adley Rutschman, he's in the minor league system. He is the future. The Orioles minor league teams are doing fantastically this season. And the Orioles will love to boost that minor league system even more. And to do that, you've got to trade away your pieces. And a couple of guys who they could trade away. Trey Mancini. It's his third season, so... 
He doesn't. He starts arbitration in his fourth season, so that would be next year. He would have four, five, and six. The, what they could get for Trey Mancini will be off the charts. You don't understand how much they could get. And, and if they had traded Machado a year earlier, half a year earlier, they would have gotten so much more for him. I think they've got to trade Trey Mancini now. He's great. I love him. I will really miss him when he's gone. But he would get so much for the Orioles. The Orioles have to look to the future. And it is the right decision that the Orioles have to make. Another guy, Michael Givens. And Michael Givens is a bit of an interesting conundrum for the Orioles. The Orioles want to trade him. They've been trying to give him all the opportunities they can. But he just isn't pitching well. And he just has really been struggling in some games well, some games not. They won't be able to get as much for him. On the regular season, he's thrown 38 and one-third innings pitched, giving up 29 hits, 18 earned runs, only 8 saves. Does have 52 strikeouts in the ERA of 4.23. On his career, though, he has an ERA of 3.26, so the talent is there, and I think he can do it. And I think the Orioles, I think they might be able to trade him. But it's going to be interesting to see how, how that happens because it will not be easy. The Orioles will not be able to get as much for him as they would get be able to get other guys. And the Orioles already did make a trade. Andrew Kashner, the, the Orioles traded him to the Boston Red Sox. Kashner is a free agent at the end of the season. The Orioles received two 17-year-olds, uh, year old Venezuelan prospects, outfielder Elio Prado and infielder Nobert Romero. And both players will play for the uh, Orioles Dominican League teams for the foreseeable future. Prado, he's hitting three, batting average 203, 400 on base percentage, 14 slugging in 33 games this season, while Romero's at 264 average, 336 on base percentage, and 364 slugging. The Orioles do have two, two Dominican League teams, and this is really interesting. Romero was sent to one and Prado to the other. And this is that was an amazing deal by the Orioles. Orioles, and what I love is it represents the future in Baltimore. Dan Duquette's gone. That means we're looking at the international market, and I don't know. I'm not. I'll be honest. I'm not trying to throw Dan Duquette under the bus here. It could have been Peter Angelo saying, "Don't you dare go to the international market if you want to keep a job in Baltimore." I don't know. No, I don't think anyone really knows. Dan Duquette knows, and he's not telling anyone. Peter Angelo knows, he's not telling anyone. So the Orioles, but the old Orioles will never do this. Michael Elias comes in. Sigma Dell comes in. Orioles have got all this new technology. They're using the stats. They're using the weapons that every other team is using. And they are getting this team ready to compete in a couple years. And I thought that the rebuild, that the Orioles could be contending in 2020. Well, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. But it could have happened. Don't get me wrong. Except, well, here's how it would have needed to happen. Cedric Mullins would have needed to go out and done well. I would expected him to do much better. He really failed. I need a chance Cisco to great to great. I expected Dylan Bundy to pitch phenomenally to come back after being healthy. I expected Givens to do great. Mancini's about where I expected him. VR's about where I expected him. It's a, I expected Davis to be doing a little bit better than he was than he is. The Orioles had the potential to be in the playoffs next season. That one is the most optimistic line I could have taken. It was possible, but it was at the very end of the optimistic line. It, it's not going to happen. 
but this Orioles team is going to get better, and they could get really good really fast by trading John Means. John Means, he made his first All-Star game. He went to Cleveland this year. did not pitch. He's young, but he is phenomenal. I think he is... Man, I, I he looks really good. 101 in a third innings pitch. 91 hits allowed, 44 runs, only 39 of them earned. He's given. He has given up 15 home runs. But he's walk, walked 27, struck out 82, 3.46 ER, a uh, three point. Oh gosh, sorry. I've been. I was looking at his career stats. I was like, that doesn't seem right. I like this season stats this year. This year, he had 98 innings pitched, 85 hits, 27 walks, 78 strikeouts, 3.12 ERA. He's been pitching really well, and I think that the Orioles are going to be able to get a lot better off of him. I mean, he's in his. Really, his first season, maybe second season. I don't remember when how the clock when the clock started for him. If the Orioles would trade him, they could get the Earth, the Moon, the stars, and probably a couple planets as well. It would be amazing. Is it worth it? No. The Orioles are in a situation they're rebuilding. He is going to be the face of the rebuild, and I think that the Orioles are going to have to go out there and just go out and keep him and just go out and play well and he's going to get better he's going to get a lot better I think he's really could he could be what Dylan Bundy could, had stuff he's got a great he's got a pretty good command doesn't throw as hard as as other guys do but he's accurate he's got a couple good breaking pitches and he's going to get better I'm really excited for him and I think the Orioles should not trade him and like I teased earlier, the dominance continued. What am I talking about? The U.S. Women's National Team. They won the World Cup. They won sec- back-to-back World Cup wins. Roosevelt made a shot to make it 2-0 in the title. They never trailed the entire tournament. They absolutely dominated everything. And this U.S. T- women's team, there's all the stuff going on with the lawsuits. They want equal pay. But it is... It was a special moment for the U.S. as they were able to take home a World Cup trophy. Also, training camp started. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'll keep you updated on the podcast with my podcast and my videos, so check them out. My videos at sportscaster.com, C-A-S-T-R.com. My username, YoseFM613. Also, I have a Ravens blog. I've got a lot of great analysis there. Check that out, sportsblog.com, YoSafeM613, and of course, check me out on Twitter at YoSafeM613. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm Yosef Masinter. I'll see you next time.